Hi, I'm Shiv. And I'm Chitra. We are the co-hosts of this show, Software People Stories. We are happy to bring you stories of people associated with software as makers or consumers. In every episode, we talk to people on their own personal and professional journeys, their interests and approach to work and life in a free-flowing conversational format. We hope that you will be able to draw your inspiration from their experiences and insights. These podcasts are made possible by PM Power Consulting, who have helped individuals, teams, and organizations on their delivery excellence journeys. Welcome to this episode of the Software People Stories. Today, my guest is Sukumar Rajagopal, who has over three decades of experience in the IT industry. He is a co-founder of a digital transformation and behavior transformation enabler startup called Tiny Magic. In this conversation, Sukumar talks about his friend who inspired him to get into software, how on his first day at a client's place, he did something totally unconnected as he thought to software. The first lesson that he learned is about attitude. He also talks about what one can learn from working on a maintenance project and how his first role with a sales responsibility was so stressful tending to a breakdown and how he mustered courage to seek guidance to change the vicious cycle into a virtuous cycle. His own personal transition to handle uncertainties in his CXO roles and what he learned from a war veteran on doing pilot projects, taking an integrative approach to knowledge management and process to deliver knowledge just in time, how his blogging experiment opened up cross business unit exchanges and some techniques he used to foster innovation across a large organization, how he drew inspiration from a paper called the Ronald Coase Penguins by Yoshai Benkler on socio-psychological rewards and why his company is called Tiny Magic after solving large corporate problems. Applying tiny changes in his own life as in push-ups and how it has helped him. And finally, his perspective on the future of a career in IT. Listen on. Welcome Sukumar to this episode of the Software People Stories. I've uh, known you, I don't know if you remember, for uh, many years now, probably at least about 10 years. And also following uh, many of the things that you tweet, that you write about and things that you've done in your career. So we'll start with uh, your self-introduction and uh, from there, the things that you've done and whatever experiences that worked for you or didn't work for you would all be very useful for our listeners. Yeah. Thank you, Shiva Guru. Grateful to you for inviting me on this popular show of yours. I'm also grateful to Gayatri Kalyan Raman, my friend who recommended me to you. Yeah, I do remember the K-Community meeting from several years ago that we may have met. Yeah. I think your strategy of even capturing these experiences uh, seems influenced by KM, which uh, I have been very passionate about ever since uh, I became the Chief Knowledge Officer of Cognos. Hmm. I'm very eager to talk to you and see if I can add any value to your audience. Absolutely. So we can start with how you got into software and what all you've done with software because knowledge management, while very important for the knowledge era, is probably not recognized as something as part of the normal software life cycle. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, okay. So my uh, life in software could be boiled down to essentially a set of happy accidents. In the second, I studied in Bits Pilani. Uh, I studied the electrical and electronics engineering four-year course, and there was a programming course. We were taught Pascal and Fortran at that time. So there was a programming course, and one of my close friends. I hope I can take his name. His name is Sri Vatsam. He was kind of addicted to software. That yeah. is the best word I knew at that time. <laughs> so he would go to the computer center constantly and write program. And we had to write programs on a punch card computer. We had to punch the cards and submit it. Mm. So I would just tag along with him, and he would be writing some fancy programs, and I will try my usual calendar date, some program I was writing. So over those two three years, I kind of imbibed his. the word that i later learned the word passion mm. software got infected by him and eternally grateful to him because that's what when tata consultancy services came to the campus i figured that that's uh, the industry i should join so had that accident not happened i might not have joined software because when i joined electronics engineering i wanted to work in the hardware field mm. so that is similar uh, to my how i got in as well i my project was in hardware and a yeah. friend actually pulled me into software i see very nice so that's how i started and once uh, i started in tcs as a programmer the, the in, i mean i had like i said right there's a series of happy accidents that have happened one the day i, I was in tcs i got a campus job i finished the initial 3 month training program they used to provide a 3 month training program mm. and then i landed in this uh, hinduja hospital in mumbai that was my client Yeah. and i join the first day on the job i have a boss who looks at me and says welcome and then he gives me a stack of papers and says you have to file this into folders at first i was a bit taken aback saying but then my boss is asking me to do it so i did it and couple of hours later i went back to him and said i have done it mm-hmm. now he pointed me on at one cupboard which mm-hmm. was filled with <laughs> Stacks of paper, uh-huh. and he said, "Now that you have done this well, please go ahead and file all those papers <laughs> into folders." <laughs> and at this point, I have lost it. Now I am a 21-year-old man who couldn't even speak one full sentence in English. But I somehow communicated my irritation to him, saying, "I am an engineer, and why do you need a engineer? I am thinking I am one smart engineer from Bits Bilani, and I am not supposed to be doing things." Uh-huh. <laughs> and then he says some things that still ring in my ears. He says, "Young man." never bring that kind of attitude to me henceforth mm. your job is only as good as what you put of yourself into it mm-hmm. now i didn't fully grasp what it is that you were saying but i could tell that he was giving me a what do you call it an admonition type of thing mm-hmm. and then he went ahead and said young man if i ask you to sweep the floor take a broom and sweep the floor in the interest of keeping the customer happy thou shall do it mm. now that the stern instruction has been given being my obedient self i did that of course i didn't fully grasp what it is that he was saying but i started i filled all the folders everything and then and then next then he just started assigning me programming jobs it's possible that he was just testing my attitude <laughs> and i didn't quite understand later on i started doing programming things and then the thing that 
I had was that uh, I went to another senior of mine and said I was writing program supposedly in a language called RPG4. Okay. <laughs> this was some programming. This is a AS400 computer and it had this proprietary language and I was looking at all my peers and they were writing code in C and Java and C++ were not yet there but C was the coolest thing. <laughs> and I was very irritated that I am not in a C project. <laughs> so I went to my senior and said what is this we are writing this RPG oh, this is all BS kind of thing. So mm-hmm. then what luckily for me that senior he called me aside and said he took one RPG program mm-hmm. and he said some program somebody has written this is like a maintenance engagement this was also another peeve of mine that I have been put in a maintenance project and I, didn't, I want to be in a C development project right? so he went he walked me through line by line of course I had learnt RPG already and it's a very simple language so I was doing that he showed me what are all the design errors that that program had oh. and he said it doesn't matter what language you are coding in mm. you have to abstract yourself away from whatever program technology it is and look at the design architecture that kind of principle because okay. that you can take anywhere okay. it doesn't matter imagine receiving this kind of a lesson within and i think this lesson i got within the first three months oh. right the only grateful part of me was i was able to go to them and express my dissatisfaction had i not done that i mm. might not have received these valuable mm. lessons so mm. after that i was like cool okay java anything that came fine i was able to yeah, pick yeah. it up and keep it like at a level that it only deserves mm-hmm. so i was able to always focus on design architecture modeling data modeling any one of those principles that really helped me even now they help me because i can look at the big picture look at the design architecture and all that so mm-hmm. within i had all these lessons and i also learned that this maintenance thing that we all talked about in the peer group is another bs mm-hmm. right why we didn't like maintenance projects was we had concluded that oh you will only work on bug fix and you won't learn anything mm. which is completely not true mm-hmm. the amount of learnings i had in all the maintenance projects i have done since then i have mm-hmm. done several mm-hmm. because i no longer would choose mm. maintenance development it doesn't matter mm-hmm. so i figured out that i actually can learn more and more in maintenance than in development in development you are given a spec and you have to code it yeah. you are actually not learning that much Uh-huh. in maintenance you can see what mistakes they have made mm-hmm. and to me it was like a sherlock holmes detective thing like uh-huh. where is the bug yeah. in which module is it coming from uh-huh. i had royal fun uh-huh. right so those are my initial lessons on how i got started hmm. now of course i could go on and on but i think we can move to next question uh, so now as to how it proceeded further from writing rpg code which is pretty close to from my understanding you know machine code or you have rpg cycle and all that yeah uh, to say architecting yeah enterprise level solutions or strategies yeah so that lesson i told you about architecture and design right i think that was a, that was one lesson the other was because it was as 400 right? it's a mini computer so what i used to do was after the day is over i would stay back for another 2 hours and read all the manual oh okay and i would have tried all the commands in fact a lot of people would come to me later on to say how do i do this and i will be able to tell them mm-hmm. so i was under the idea that i should and it didn't all i had to do was spend some more time and i would learn it, mm-hmm. right so i was happy i am the known expert in this mm-hmm. group and people will come to me and i was like ah this is great mm-hmm. then i got transferred to chennai where i had to work in the mainframe ibm 39 okay. it was mbs at the zero Yes, I have not yet come. Now my strategy of 
learning everything about the mainframe was a complete failure because mm-hmm. there is no way on earth that no matter how much time i spent i could not learn all the subsystems mm-hmm. in the main in fact mm-hmm. to learn one subsystem like a cics or a db2 might take you a long long time now i already got into a position where i have to supervise people as okay so this strategy of me was failing <laughs> so the next strategy i executed was okay i will sit with my team member this was my idea of supervising people so we used to work in three two three shifts and first shift i will come work with i had two people first person comes in the morning shift i will sit with him make sure he is doing the thing next shift another person will come i will stay i work two shifts thinking that i as a supervisor was supposed to make them do things sitting with them obviously that is not sustainable how long i could do it slowly then i learned how to lead people through this and that's how my journey into leadership started that that i have to trust people i give them i don't need to know everything about what they are doing i can actually leverage their ideas and their creativity and their skills and make something bigger happen all these things i had to learn the hard way mm-hmm. there was no real management education type of thing at that time you are pretty mm-hmm. much thrown into the deep end and if you survive it's good <laughs> otherwise it's like i don't know what would happen that's so <laughs> so then i obviously i was by that time i was in tcs for 7 years i became a, a project manager so i was uh, managing projects and i was able to manage with this strategy and tcs you already had this thing of developing a tool first before any project so once you develop the tool then it controls majority of the how the code will be developed so i right. was able to exert and then the real leadership lessons came to me only in the next step when i joined cognizant and i became an account manager which was uh, more a p and l business development and sales kind of job okay. so that was actually a significant milestone in my career because i had a probably a my meltdown oh. in the sense i was almost close to a nervous breakdown and ready to quit and this uh, by then i had moved to america for a long term engagement mm-hmm. at a client side i am the on site program manager okay. at this mm-hmm. and almost everything that i was looking at was going wrong right sales uh-huh. was we were losing deals people were quitting we are the unhappiest team in some survey <laughs> the mm-hmm. company <laughs> they do the annual surveys right <laughs> it's like i have a new boss who i didn't like mm-hmm. it's like i lost in that process about 5 kilos oh. and uh, my i used to come back home and then cry Mm. almost every other day i would come home and cry because i was like sort of i didn't know what to do yeah right uh-huh. this what do you call it inability to handle that situation i don't know what do you call it yeah feeling helpless feeling mm. helpless yeah, yeah. Mm. and my wife also she tries she is smart she is also a software engineer mm. but we didn't know how to solve this problem so mm. this uh, helplessness led me to these crying bouts and all that now my wife says that that is the worst period in her life mm. luckily for me i had an advisor okay so i called that advisor now mm. the lesson mm. i learned is soon as i hit this first symptom of the problem i should ask for help sure. yeah. but then see this thing that you are seeking help means you are a weak person mm-hmm. which is the feeling i am already having right uh, uh. i feel incompetent yeah. already uh, uh. that i don't know how to handle this situation <laughs> and i was unwilling to accept that my own self what would you call it ego self esteem whatever it is that was unwilling mm-hmm. to accept that i have i am not able to handle mm-hmm. situation that made it further difficult for okay. me to seek help so i was in this vicious cycle mm-hmm. 
So I call this advisor, and the advisor says again, still things ringing in my head. Hmm. He said, "It seems like you are in a deep situation. Maybe you are taking the right decision mm-hmm. to move out. But I'll hmm. tell you one thing. Just think about it and tell me. It's okay. You quit, and when you go somewhere else, how can you be sure that there wouldn't be another set of problems there for you? Right. And obviously, that made a light bulb bulb go off in my head. Mm-hmm. Then he followed up with, "Okay, now that you say there also, I will suggest one thing." If that doesn't work, then you can be sure. Yeah. That one thing was pick one problem. You are mm-hmm. saying everything is a problem, which mm-hmm. seems to be correct based on what you are saying. Pick one problem and then try to solve it as best as you can. Mm-hmm. Seek help, whatever, solve it. Mm-hmm. So I picked one problem mm-hmm. and I was able to solve that, and mm-hmm. that set the virtuous cycle in motion. Oh, nice! And from there, I was able to turn around my life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the many many things about the value of people. I was not trusting people. It all boiled down to okay, that. Okay. I was trying to do everything myself, hmm, hmm. and there was only so much I could do with one brain. Hmm. So I started engaging more people, collaborate better, hmm. understand my clients better. I had this hmm. poor attitude about sales. Hmm. I, I later on I hear that all technical people have that kind of a bias. Like sales is infra big, uh-huh. right? I mean you have a certain what do you call it negative opinion about sales. Hmm. So I had to come out of that also. So then mm. I now now I actually teach sales. Okay. So I think sales is another skill. It's another right. thing that I could pick up, which I did. So mm. all these things had to happen, and that's so. Then obviously now I am in this new track. I am doing well as a client partner. Then I became a practice director, then a practice head for the manufacturing mm. and logistics practice, and then I moved back to India. At that point, my boss, the CEO of the company at that time, he was not my direct boss, but he said. that uh, i want you to we are launching a board level initiative for knowledge management i want you to run this initiative would you like to do that mm, okay and to me it was like at that point i already spent 18 years in pnl delivery pnl i said okay that mm. seems interesting so i took that now that launched me in a journey bit by bit so after that i became head of process quality head of innovation Mm. and then eventually the global chief information yeah. officer so over the next 8 years i held these cxo roles and did number of transformation mm. projects and then after that i quit and i started this firm tiny magic with my friend okay so that kind of not interesting sure. yeah okay quite a few questions come to my mind yeah from being an engineer or approaching things as an engineer and trying to solve problems or go and then address specific issues when you had to take on these cxo kind of roles where probably most things are undefined including yeah. probably what the outcome could be how did you handle that transition yeah that's a great question see one of the things there are two things and uh, over a period of time i realized that uncertainty see if you look at my meltdown experience what was actually getting me was the uncertainty like i would go to the office fearing that something will break down i will lose some deal all of which were beyond my circle of control now mm-hmm. i have submitted a good proposal that doesn't make my client buy from me somebody mm-hmm. else might submit a better proposal mm-hmm. so obviously they will go with them so this uncertainty kind of crushes you so mm-hmm. when you take on a problem like knowledge management i am yet mm-hmm. to find and i you have been in this space i am yet to find a person two came people agreeing that definition of what is knowledge what is, yeah. so i entered a space which is not only am i clueless about it even now there is 
the industry itself hasn't defined it very well so it's very uncertain now luckily for me my, the next ceo who's uh, frank who i hold in high regard he had organized a lecture by a, some us war veteran so he talked about winning in fast time and he and his co-author they came and made a speech in one of our top management meets and i had just become the cku okay and all it was was he was saying look generally we tend to take a very serial kind of approach hmm. so we'll start with a pilot project then it succeeds then you he said identify 10 opportunities and execute all 10 simultaneously oh okay 10 being a number yeah right could be any number right mm-hmm. so i was very inspired by that idea hmm. so what happened was i and i had already spent what 10 years in the company by then maybe 12 years in the company mm-hmm. i am employee number 298 in cognizant mm-hmm. so i knew most senior people so 1995 i joined 2006 whatever mm-hmm. 11 years probably i had already in the company so i convinced some seven or eight bus to run seven or eight pilot projects in yes. came hmm. one group tried wiki one group tried blog one guy tried forum one guy tried this all the pilots were started in the first six months itself and obviously a lot of them failed yeah. and then we so that we picked up stuff and then we started learning what exactly was the problem with km itself mm. and luckily for me raj sri natarajan who you know she was in my team yeah. she came up with the idea that we will marry process and knowledge and deliver knowledge just in time mm. so that led to the whole program we call cognizant 2.0 which is a new platform yeah. which yeah. we created which would deliver knowledge just in time hmm. so like i said my life has been a series yeah. of happy accidents happiness <laughs> so blogging somehow just took off within cognizant mm-hmm. because maybe there are very young people it just it's went viral i mean in in less than okay. a year it was cracking some million page views and things like that everybody all the kids started blogging okay. and that pulled the top management in frank and other senior people started blogging so okay. it started creating this open environment and ideas would spread very easily from one bu to another which kind of set the stage for me when the job of head of innovation was offered i was able to move into that and leverage these came tools to do innovation in a more organized fashion so that's kind of where we are. yeah so innovation again something that's uh, probably interpreted differently yeah and also to get someone to actually innovate okay. how do you or how did you get yeah. them to start thinking about something beyond just an immediate problem solving or innovation yeah very good question so when we started the innovation program right the idea was to build a culture of innovation that was the mandate that was given to me which meant that i kind of translated culture of innovation that's big body of knowledge high polluting right so how do i so i translated that to everybody should innovate okay and then when we started talking to people we would ask so we would bring a bunch of associates into a room and ask them why you are not innovating yeah <laughs> and it led to some one amazing finding which even in today in my business i continue to use what would they say i don't have time the management is in encouraging me what is in it for me mm-hmm. i don't know how to innovate i don't have the skills so first time we did it we captured about 10 reasons okay. and we have now done that since then across the world across cultures the same 10 reasons would come okay in varying words mm-hmm. then what we did was we would took what 
take so we are all already learned through a consultant how to do a brainstorming session so we will take the first one no time mm-hmm. and get the participants to brainstorm how to solve that problem 99% of the time someone in the room will say i just have to do my job better mm. which is nothing but continuous innovation or kaizen so that is how we change the mindset so now it's if i can so if i can do my job better i will free up time which is what i set out saying i don't have to right so they have entered a cognitive dissonance in their own mind mm-hmm. so that's how and then of course the management innovation was done by one of my teammates so actually my boss asked in one of the review meeting okay so you are talking about all this how do i know that uh, it's being done he said he is obviously a management person he said the famous thing what you can't measure you can't manage so that led one of my teammates to come up with a tool called innovation index which we started publishing on a monthly basis every account every practice and by extension the entire company will get an innovation index which runs from 0 to 100 which actually measures how much innovation you did in that month in that account okay. and the only things we considered are innovation are not mentioned in the statement of work if the mm-hmm. client asks you to execute an innovative project we won't count that in the innovation index it has got to be something that wasn't specified by the client and you mm-hmm. still did this is a simple rule we came up and then publishing this index set off a kind of a viral chain reaction everybody would want to be on top of the index and everybody wants to be known as an innovator anywhere in the world this feeling that i want to be known as an innovator is a very powerful feeling yeah so we leverage that I mean, we were not aware that there is such a thing but when we started working on it it appeared so we would certify people as a champion recognize people we hold the innovation events together bring speakers expert speakers to speak on various topics make it into a fun and this you know index kind of gamified the whole thing every innovation you submitted into the index gave you some points which gets included in the index and your index goes up and every year the index would get reset to zero oh okay so you can't like oh last year i am a winner that doesn't work yeah yeah next year also again you have to compete so that's kind of how we did it's fascinating what we learned about so one of the reasons why people come up with these which we call the 10 barriers to innovation is because people as soon as you say innovation they think they have to invent the next iphone or the ipod the fact that i can simply improve what i am doing they don't recognize that as an innovation yeah. so that is a form of innovation called continuous innovation which the japanese have been doing for ever but mm. in the software services industry people weren't aware so mm. we were probably amongst the first to make it into a organized discipline nice. okay i mean this doesn't mean cognizant was not innovating before it was just that it was not consistent mm-hmm. some people would do it and there was no way to track it you couldn't go to town with what have you done in innovation it'll be very anecdotal oh i done this done that and everybody had anecdotal evidences of innovation in but this kind of set us in a different path and we got the uh, awarded as that one of the top 10 innovating innovating innovation awards okay. by mckinsey and hbr mm-hmm. they ran a competition and we got that award mm, nice so that's yeah. the story on innovation when you're talking about knowledge management and innovation in a let's say a system integration or a services kind of organization i've come across pockets where they feel that uh, if i start sharing then i will lose my power or i will lose whatever makes me important in the organization so how do you address those kinds of mindsets yeah i have encountered 
that in my career too the thing that i found is that uh, this inspiration actually came from there is an article i don't know if you have come across this is called coesis penguin no i haven't okay so there is a economist by name ronald coes who wrote the theory of the firm and why firms actually come into place it's called mm-hmm. the transaction so basically firms exist to reduce the transaction cost of doing something mm-hmm. this theory of ronald coes won him the nobel prize in economics it's brilliant so another yale law professor by name yo chai benkler i'm sure mm-hmm. i'm slaughtering the pronunciation of the name mm-hmm. but he wrote an article called coes's penguin uh-huh. he was talking about how does open source actually work oh okay and i was always curious how come we are talking about incentive motivation r and r program all that but here through open source yeah. like huge pieces of software like linux and things are coming up and there is no money to be made what is driving all these people yeah. right so and it's a long paper but the long story short he identified that it is one of the primary driver is socio psychological reward this is wording okay the okay. mouthful but basically he found out that that is what the and that is the thing i am a core committer of linux mm-hmm. i am a this of uh, wordpress that okay. is socio psychological re- reward okay i realized that in large companies we don't leverage that phenomenon hmm. and all we had to do was roll out these kinds of things innovation champion award i am this yeah, blogger okay. the best uh, certified thing so we came up with a number of things which stood for meaningful organizational contribution okay right and it, their identity is kind of tied to that that sort of thing i am an innovator is an identity it is not just uh, so when i say i am a core committer of linux it's a identity right so when people said i am a blogger within cognizant that was a kind of identity we had cultivated okay so they would get invited to events that they enter and they would be requested to blog even though they may be the junior most person <laughs> that kind of gave them different levels of motivation and the bonding that it creates the community oh i am part of this community which is doing all these things in the company so this socio psychological reward mm. in parallel the hr team had come up with something called as the wa point w a h wa right are wa we say right wa yeah, point okay. so for all these activities we would give them wa points wa points okay which then there is a cognizant store and you can convert that to some goodies some mm-hmm. nothing expensive what you can get yeah. some hats and okay. stuff that you can buy mm-hmm. with your wa points so mm-hmm. it's like many things mm-hmm. getting to meet senior people like all kinds of so sort of a different strokes for different folk it can't be one strategy sure. because each of us have unique although there is a pattern we belong to a certain need group Mm-hmm. some people motivated by awards and rewards some people are motivated by the task some people are motivated by something else so you have to your address your strategy has to address all those socio psychological rewards okay so after working in these large enterprise large problems and all that why do you call your current company tiny magic <laughs> <laughs> yeah good question so what we found and i think there are a couple of reasons one is tiny magic is a sort of a name that came to our head saying this is what we need to stop but if you look at it at a higher level in tamil we have always said this siru thuli peri vellam or little drops of water make a mighty big ocean mm-hmm. so we believe that that we can make people make tiny changes so in when i was in cognizant i started a community called tiny change community on the cognizant 2.0 platform okay and i would simply post something so 
the idea was if you make tiny changes to your life people brain actually likes that there is a neuroscience behind so a lot of people started posting i made this change that change and it will be like comments are accumulating in the community so that gave the sense that okay people don't actually resist tiny changes they may resist big changes but tiny they don't now if i had said big magic company right expectations will be set too high tiny magic company or tiny magic is cute that's kind of what it is mm. Nice. So tiny magic, tiny things aggregated over time can have magical impact. Okay. And this is something that we have all experienced in our lives. So nothing we do is a theoretical exercise. We receive those benefits ourselves. Mm. For example, I'll give you an example. And I'm doing this for the benefit of your listeners. You might have heard this story before. I started uh, working with, I mean, I came across Professor B.J. Fogg's Tiny Habits Method. Mm-hmm. It's about seven years back. Okay. And I wanted to get into fitness, but the usual reasons of no time, all that was there. So I started with, after brushing teeth, two push-ups. Hmm. So two push-ups takes all of two seconds. Okay. I couldn't argue that I don't have two seconds to spend. Hmm. So I got into it. Mm-hmm. And within my, within a year, I surprised myself by doing 50 push-ups at one go. Oh, wow. And I did it today also. Mm-hmm. So now I went from two push-ups uh, for my age group is I am below pathetic performance. Okay. But 50 push-ups at one go puts me in the top 10% oh. of humanity itself. Oh. So I went from rank... pathetic performance to top decile perform mm. and some of the fitness things i do actually young people will find it hard to do mm. so is one example of how tiny things can aggregate now tiny habits is a part of our methodology so we okay. have, i am now a certified coach and me and my partner we teach the tiny habits method as part of uh, our program oh, okay Nice. So we have converted soft skills, transformation, innovation into these tiny things which everybody can practice. And exactly. we use a software to journal that. Okay. As they practice it, they journal it. Okay. When they journal it, it creates a micro-mentoring opportunity for us. Hey, did you think about that? Uh. And then, and it, we do it in groups. So when we give a feedback to one person, that everybody else will learn. So in 120 days, we can actually bring dramatic improvement. That okay. people, people quite surprised. Mm-hmm. by the kind of things they are able to do with such a method so that is the mm. origin of tiny magic mm. that's nice i think probably that deserves another conversation later as uh, we are kind of limited on time usually the last question that i like to ask is particularly for you having also been a cio cxo roles and seen so much of change in the it both technology adaptation and all that what would be your advice for somebody who is thinking of whether i should get into it or somebody who is just getting into it i think that's a great question i mean to me at probably at a cellular level i believe that technology is supremely important and that every business is a tech business if they aren't today then they don't understand the power of technology so if anything if when i look at i also work in the space of machine learning there is already demand for a 2 million machine learning engineer so everyone in technology should become a machine learning engineer okay so if anything technology is going to get itself even bigger role in our lives if not already so if you are not in it you are missing something that's what i would say but now tiny magic itself is on the intersection of behavior and technology and design and that <laughs> and that is the space in which computers can't easily replace us mm. i would say that you should direct yourself into those areas not be a pure software coder mm-hmm. which i think probably 5 years from now machines will write that program for you mm. i have already come across several instances where machines are able to write the code for you so when i say it i mean tech in its broadest sense that 
I think we have not scratched the surface with the number of problems that we face as humanity that technology could solve. Mm-hmm. It's just that we don't design and make effective use of technology. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, that will change. Yeah, that's very reassuring because many people have the doomsday prediction saying once AI ML is there, then IT will kind of be very very minimal. I know. I mean, I yeah, I've also come across that. Yeah. So thank you, Sukumar. This has been a very interesting conversation. There are a lot of learnings. I could relate to a lot of these things that I've gone through myself as well. and i'm sure it will be interesting for the listeners and uh, i definitely am looking forward to another conversation at a later time on some of the models that uh, have worked in transformations and knowledge management or capturing knowledge and sharing knowledge yes absolutely you asked some fantastic questions so if this interview is any interesting i think it thanks to you shiva thank you very much thanks kumar If you like the show and would like to share your experiences with the community or know someone else who might want to do that please get in touch with us at podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com that is podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com please rate the show on podchaser stitcher iTunes or any other podcast client that you find us on please also share our episodes with your friends and others in your network if you or anyone you know would like to be featured on our show do write to us at this email address podcast@pm-powerconsulting.com